Okay, there's just this word going around, which is jingoism, and I just want to define it. It's extreme chauvinism or nationalism, but specifically with an aggressive kind of like inclination. So like being nationalistic, but also wanting to like start a war with someone. It just has an interesting etymology because the term jingoism, which is being thrown around right now, like in regards to the Russia investigation, it originated during the Russo-Turkish War. Okay. Interestingly, and during the Russo-Turkish War, apparently like British citizens, so that was in the in the 19th century, late 19th century, apparently British citizens like wanted England, wanted Britain to join the war effort against the Russians. Okay. So it started from an anti-Russian context. There was just, yeah, so there's a lot of like national sentiment in Britain that was like, we need to fight, we need the British government to fight the Russians. And apparently this like, this national uh, patriotic British song was created then and we're gonna play it for you and it has the word jingo in it we didn't go on to fight but by jingo now we do we've got the ships we've got the men and got the money too we found a friend in need so friends we must be true we love the eagles talent We don't want to fight yet by Jingo if we do. That's where the Jingo comes. It's like by Jingo, by Jove, I don't know, yeah. whatever, by Jingo. By golly. But that, yeah, so that's where it's from, 19th century Brits. This is the meat of the podcast. Wait, have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? Yeah. 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 You're listening to Shoes in Russia. I'm Smith and I'm currently in Italy. And I'm Chile. <laughs> And I'm Russian. <laughs> and I'm Russian. I'm Lily. I'm a Russian expert. <laughs> <laughs> because apparently if you've taken more than like one class of Russian or not at all. Or not at all. you just say you're a Russian expert, then you are. Did one. you read some stuff about Russia? Did you read the Russian wiki yet? Because I think that's all it Do takes. Do you follow a lot of Russians on Twitter? <laughs> Russian expert. Can you read Cyrillic? Yes. <laughs> and I am also in Italy sitting across the table from my lovely co-hosts. We're together still, but we're traveling. We're in what we learned is pronounced Sichel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sorry. We're is there any sh- real we're Italian? Not sure listening? if that's right. Okay, but we're in Sicily. Smith, what are we talking about on this episode? We're talking about Rob Reiner's new wiki page. Rob Reiner's latest film. <laughs> Rob Reiner's latest film starring Morgan Freeman. It's the trailer for the film. We, yeah. The film's not out yet. And it's not a film. It's a movie. <laughs> it's a movie. Many of you have probably seen this advertisement, but what we're talking about today in general is the Committee to Investigate Russia. Which, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> na, na, na. which is a joint 
project by a group of people, one of whom is Rob Reiner, who, as you may know, is the illustrious director of many a good film. He really is. He really is. When Harry Met Sally, loved that movie. Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap. Good movie. Didn't make it through all the way because I think I felt irritated. Stand By Me. Princess Bride. Princess Bride. That's a classic. Yeah, it's a classic. So he's a good director. We're not taking that away from him. We like what he does with Hollywood and the narrative. So what he did was he made basically this website called investigaterussia.org. Unfortunately, somebody already bought .com. If you own that, please contact us because we want to put cheese we'll in Russia on it. We'll make you a good deal up to $10. We really will. $10 a year. Think about it, okay? <laughs> think about it, man. Think about, think about this. <laughs> Just to introduce a little bit of like what they are. They are apparently a nonpartisan organization. That's what they're calling themselves. One of the goals that they list is to help Americans recognize and understand the gravity of Russia's continuing attacks on our democracy. And that's the kind of rhetoric on their site. That's a good, like, sort of representative of it. But basically what they did was they released a site. They also released a video, and that's what a lot of people saw. And the video was basically a trailer, an ad for the organization. And it's just Morgan Freeman speaking. It's just his face. So let's listen. Let's watch the video with our ears. (laughs) All right. We have been attacked. We are at war. Imagine this movie script. A former KGB spy, angry at the collapse of his motherland, plots a course for revenge. Taking advantage of the chaos, he works his way up through the ranks of a post-Soviet Russia and becomes president. He establishes an authoritarian regime, then he sets his sights on his sworn enemy, the United States. And like the true KGB spy he is, he secretly uses cyber warfare to attack democracies around the world. Using social media to spread propaganda and false information, he convinces people in democratic societies to distrust their media their political processes, even their neighbors. And he wins. Vladimir Putin is that spy, and this is no movie script. We need our president to speak directly to us and tell us the truth. We need him to sit behind the desk in the Oval Office and say, my fellow Americans, during this past election, we came under attack by the Russian government. I've called on Congress and our intelligence community to use every resource available to conduct a thorough investigation to determine exactly how this happened. The free world is counting on us for leadership. For 241 years, our democracy has been a shining example to the world of what we can all aspire to. And we owe it to the brave people who have fought and died to protect this great nation and save democracy. And we owe it to our future generations to continue the fight. Join the committee to investigate Russia. Join the fight. Fucking 1945, I swear to God. Join the committee. Join the Citizen Corps. You can fight for... 
Pennsylvania. You don't have to go to war. Fight on the home front. We're going to get into depth analyzing that because that's the like main thing that's floating around Twitter. I don't think that many people are actually reading the content of the website. Let me tell you, folks, you're missing out. It's riveting. It's riveting. <laughs> I never knew so much about Russia. Okay, so in the video, sort of like the point, like the demand, right? If we're like seeing this as some kind of grassroots activism, is that they, this committee, want Trump or whatever, the U.S. government officially, to say, dear American people, we are going to conduct a thorough investigation. And I'm confused. That's their demand, and that is what we're already doing. I don't think that's their demand. Well, that's the demand in the video. That's the demand in the video, yeah. I agree that's not what he says in other interviews. I kind of said this before, but it's really not clear to me, like, what they're trying to do. Like, are they trying to just make a wiki? Because, okay, they did that, I guess. I think the main thing is they're like, why doesn't anybody care about this? And they're getting all like worked up in themselves and they're like, oh, we're going to make people care about it with our movies that are that draw on your heartstrings. Who are the people who don't care? Like the media cares. The media cares. Well, this is what Rob Reiner and David Frum said on CNN, which was like, they're like the media cares. You guys are doing a great job. They say that to the uh, CNN anchors. You guys are doing great. But the average person doesn't care. Right. So the, I think you're right. They want some kind of a emotional stirring to happen like people get from a movie like yeah so what happened was the committee releases this trailer with morgan freeman's voice and face then rob reiner and david from who's one of the advisory he's board. one of the advisory board members but he's not on the website which is confusing but he is the senior editor of the atlantic he was a speechwriter yeah. for bush and they're like going around together so i think that they just forgot to put him on the website very possible Those two, that little duo, since the release of this video, they've been going around to all the big American media companies like CNN, Fox, basically to promote their committee. So that kind of leads into like, well, so this is a nonprofit and like who's funding it? And basically it's Rob Reiner's funding it. And the way they formulate their goals well, in that video, as I said, is a little bit different from how Rob Reiner does explains what he's doing in interviews because people press him and then he has to like explain like his whole point and we're gonna we can play a clip. It doesn't of that really in a seem to be that much substance there. Yeah, he's no. just like hacking. They're hacking things and they're not just hacking one computer. They're hacking our democracy. Right, and no, but he he has like it occurred to me at one point that this committee to investigate Russia, given that they're basing their whole premise on being like a wiki, like a gather place for all public information publicly available information they're like a shitty version of Navalny's anti-corruption foundation in a way just that like no one in them is running for public public office but it just like is a funny parallel kind of because it just like it seems like they're doing similar things, but Navalny's is like much more convincing and like well, it's well much more produced. Convincing and well produced, and he also like produces things, whereas they really are just like assembling links in a way that's not easy to navigate. They haven't produced anything other than the site and this trailer, but like Navalny produces like actual like expose videos. Yeah. Maybe they'll come up with other things. I mean, he's a director, right? Like. He could get a drone. He could drone over uh, <laughs> the White House. <laughs> He's like, drop, beep, beep. <laughs> but yeah, so th- if Reiner articulated any goal over the course of his like big media interviews, it was like to educate the American public so that people understand the gravity. Because he made a distinction between the legal repercussions of the Russian government hacking the American election and the 
moral, emotional, like, uh, implications of this interference. Because he said, look, like, Mueller, 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 we're going to say like between Mu and Mu, the official investigations that's currently happening in the U.S. government to investigate Russian interference, that investigation, it is trying to find crimes that took place that could be prosecutable and reiner like makes his distinction he's like look they're covering the legal illegal stuff they're gonna find out what's illegal we like know that they're doing that and that's cool they being like the, the real Very investigator cool. <laughs> but good job guys he's like but what we need to do is we're the propaganda branch yeah of the he's, investigation. Like, he's like they're looking at the legal stuff and we're looking at like what goes beyond that because he's like some things happen that maybe aren't illegal but they're un-American or they're immoral. He used that word, un-American. Two things with the title of this committee. Yeah, bullshit. Don't call something a committee. The second thing is investigate Russia. You're not investigating Russia. Is Rob Reiner like going over to Moscow and knocking on the door of the Kremlin? Well, he's not investigating because he's not actually analyzing any data. He has a preconceived notion that he's propagating and putting a bunch of wiki links together. But investigating is also like going and finding new information not just analyzing given information like they're not investigating anything that's true this goes along with the like and i'm an expert thing because i read things it's like no you have to actually like go talk to people and like no solve mysteries to be an investigator no, you don't. don't you know about sherlock holmes when he wanted to say that like there's there's already this investigation going on looking for prosecutable crimes and that they want americans to understand just to understand what has been done to them not legally or illegally but like how their americanness has been questioned their pride it comes to a really emotional level that's hard to describe i think it goes back to this american exceptionalism thing it's like anytime any country does anything that could be potentially perceived as impinging on this like amorphous freedom that defines america like patriotic people get very insulted yeah the words used to describe this insult like there's the illegal stuff and the words he uses are un-american which we've heard from a lot of like conservative people before the committee on un-american activities oh and yeah the cold war basically and then improper which is an i mean of course the guy is like winging it he's on live tv so he's saying words but he said improper (laughs) he is he's putting sentences together improper which is like what the russian government did was improper (laughs) like think about that like what is the implication there it's like so moralistic that it just feels like so outdated. Well, yeah, but the improper thing, I think, pulls on the language of like these never Trumper people, which are definitely like part of this advisory board that refer to Trump's behavior as like improper and not dignified. And so this like fake veneer of like civility is driving a lot of the emotions of, of these types of people because yeah. they don't actually they don't actually care about like the, the implications of these people's policies. They just care about their behavior. But I feel like Reiner's more saying improper, like maybe he used that word in sort of an echoey way, but I feel like he more meant to say like, it's just not a, it's not something a good guy does. You know, like you gotta be a good, hard, honest, hardworking, God honest American. <laughs> yeah. You gotta have a farm. Okay. <laughs> like that's what it feels like. It's like he wants Americans to understand that like the whole point of our country is upholding certain ideals. Well, and the fact that we voted for Trump indicates that those ideals are being broken down and they couldn't possibly bro- be broken down by like self-generated systems. They must be yeah. broken down by by Putin. Yes. 
Yeah. Only Putin could do yeah. that. And yeah. boy, is that indecent. Okay. So let's play the clip of Reiner explaining himself on one of those interviews. This is on Fox. Sorry. Shout out to Tucker Carlson. Tucker, <laughs> don't listen to our show. Fuck off, Tucker. We don't want your goddamn <laughs> listenership and your weird baby boy face. <laughs> yeah, you're like swoop hair. All right. Uh, no, well, when we say we're at war, we're talking about a cyber war. Uh, it, it, it's... it doesn't make that clear. It just says we're Morgan Freeman, who everyone trusts, his voice, you know, <laughs> folks in media trust in everyone. We're at war. So, but you don't really believe we're at war. Why are you saying it then? Well, because if you watch the entire uh, video, it talks about cyber warfare. It talks about how he was able to use, uh, you know, the Internet and, and cyber tools to uh, attack the democracy, which is what they did. They're using the computers, the, the computers, you know, with the mouse. They use and the they're clicking around. They're clicking around. And they're getting the computer. They're using the World Wide Web, the net. The net going into your brain. You know, my daughter Sally used to be on AIM all the time. I don't know what she was doing on there. They could be doing anything on there. She could have been talking to the Russians. She could have been talking to the Russians in those chat rooms. I bet they started early. Okay, so the context of that clip we just played, that's Rob Reiner speaking, obviously, and being slightly interrupted by like a passive-aggressive Tucker. Oh, it gets so much worse at the end. They start both laughing passive aggressively. Like as soon as the camera turns off, I'm gonna fucking kill you. But anyway, so the context of that is that that guy, Tucker, is saying, like, why do you use this word war in the video and why do you call this a war? And why does the script say literally we're at war? Like what what is We've that? Been attacked. What's the point of that, A? And like why are you sort of like warmongering? Because like obviously we're not at war with Russia, not in any real political or physical well, sense. There could probably be some argument made for the Syrian thing, but let's just leave that alone. Okay. We might be at war in a Sideway which, in Syria. No, which no none of these about. people talk about. No. Yeah, we should talk about that at some yeah. point. We should do we'll an episode scared. on Syria. <laughs> yeah, I so just don't really want to. Do we it. need to get a Syrian expert in here. The point is that the video is is really explicitly like we're at war. And as you could hear from that clip, Reiner explains that choice by saying, okay, no, 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 it's not a real war, like a hot war. It's basically, well, he says it's cyber war. So he doesn't even say it's a cold war. He says it's cyber war. And obviously they chose for the script of the of the video, the whoever wrote that chose to make like, to make it dramatic. I mean, even they like use a certain, it's a certain technique to like compare it to a movie first and then be like, but it's no movie. But it's no it's movie. It's like, okay. This um, is no but movie. But actually it is. Yeah, it, it is like really, what's the word? Sensationalist to yeah. call this a war, like cyber war. And well, then but he, to be fair, it would sound really lame if he got on and he was like, we're at cyber war. I know, but he doesn't really explain what he means by we're at war. He's like, no, we're at cyber war. And then he's like, what that means is that he, meaning Putin, but he doesn't say Putin's name. He, he is doing this thing. And then that's what they're doing at the end. And that's the Russians. So it's just like, to me, like the way Rob Reiner talks about this and thinks about this is just kind of a throwback to his own childhood and like of the Cold War. Later in that same interview, he's like, he like references the Cold War being like, I remember doing like bomb drills and like hiding Double under desks. Cover. He's like, I miss the good old days when I just climbed under a desk that had all my pencils in it. The way he explains like this sort of drive to make this committee and like why he's calling it a war and like using these emotional triggers, even if they're not particularly accurate. He's like... 
the premise is America as a country has been attacked. And in other times in history when we've been attacked, we've rallied together against a common enemy. To protect democracy. To protect democracy. But we, we rallied together. And so I think he's talking about, I want to say World War Two. Yeah. The Cold War, kind of. That's a scary rally model. So is Vietnam. I mean, like, what is he talking about? Yeah, I don't think the Iraq really War. Rally. He's talking about September 11th, maybe. He's told Rob Reiner's like not working for the U.S. government. I don't think he is in any. He's just being himself. But the whole like position and rhetoric really sounds like the official U.S. position on terrorism, which is like when I'm looking at this really lovely site from 2001, I think. That's like the strategy of the U.S. combating terrorism. And just really briefly, like after September 11th, like when the U.S. government started explaining basically like what it means to be at war with an idea, terrorism, things were published on these horrible sites that nobody read. These like strategies and explanations that like an overview of America's national strategy for combating terrorism, da, da, da. And it just really sounds similar because they're like, America is at war with a transnational terrorist movement fueled by a radical ideology of hatred, oppression, and murder. Our national strategy recognizes that we are at war and that protecting and defending the homeland, the American people, and their livelihoods remains our first and most solemn obligation. Our it's strategy, a solemn obligation. We're not happy to do it, no? but we're going to do it because it's the right thing to do. Solemn. Our strategy also recognizes that the war on terror is a different kind of war. From the beginning, it has been both a battle of arms and a battle of ideas. Not only do I f we fight our terrorist enemies on the battlefield, we promote freedom and human dignity as alternatives to the terrorist's perverse vision of Ooh. oppression and totalitarian rule. Okay, last part. The paradigm for combating terrorism now involves the application of all elements of our national power and influence. Not only do we employ military power, we use diplomatic, financial, and intelligence, and law enforcement activities, drones, 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 to protect the homeland and extend our defenses. And spying. Spy, spy, spy. Spy, spy, <laughs> cyber warfare, cyber warfare. Extend our defenses, disrupt terrorist operations, and deprive our enemies of what they need to operate and survive. We have broken old orthodoxies that once confined our counterterrorism efforts primarily to the criminal justice domain. Brings us to a lot of things. Yeah, I think we should introduce this beautiful entourage of cast members we have. Yeah, let's do that. So I, we're just going to semi-quickly introduce what people are involved with this so that you can start to understand what exactly is going on here. So the overall thing is that it's kind of a mix of like never Trump or think tank people, like centrist think tank people, Rob Reiner, and then this one guy who's like a conservative commentator who had a radio show in Milwaukee. Can you define never Trumper? Never Trumper is a term that refers to conservatives who during the campaign were like, we, we would never vote for Trump. He's indecent. He says horrible things about women and minorities and we'll, we'll never support him. Mm. Even in that CNN interview, actually, one of the hosts points out that kind of one of the unifying things about this nonpartisan committee is that they all dislike Trump. Yeah, though Rob Reiner's like, this is not about Trump. It's not about Trump. It's about um, America. Side note, Rob Reiner actually had a, f 
a fundraiser event at his house for Hillary Clinton. Okay. So David Frum, as I mentioned, speechwriter for Bush and is now the senior editor at The Atlantic. We're going to move on past him. So Max Boot, he was born in Moscow to Russian Jews, but... No! <laughs> no! Oh, good. We got an expert. Oh, thank God. All right. All right. This is probably legitimate. Um, he and, lived for five years in Moscow. Yeah. And then he moved to and was raised in L.A. He's conservative. Right now, he's the senior fellow in national security studies at the Council on Foreign Relations. And if you don't know what the Council on Foreign Relations is, it's a think tank in Washington, D.C., out of which a lot of our foreign policy bullshit comes from. So They're pretty anti-Putin. They're pretty anti-Putin. It was founded in like the 1920s. Henry Kissinger was the head of it at one point. So we're getting, yeah, really high quality people coming out of there. Okay, so this is a quote from John Foster Dulles, who was the Secretary of State under Eisenhower and also came out of this think tank. And this is a quote during a speech he was giving. There's no local defense which alone will contain the mighty land power of the communist world. Local defenses must be reinforced by further deterrent of massive retaliatory power. So you can see the tradition in which this Council on Foreign Relations is steeped. But basically, this guy, Max Boot, he, he dubs himself as like a military historian. historian, but he like has done consulting for the U.S. military. And he like goes around and gives speeches. He also still thinks that victory is possible in Afghanistan, so... Just keep that in mind. He identifies as a natural contrarian and a conservative. He was critical of of Rex Tillerson being appointed to Secretary of State because he thought that he was too pro-Russian. Okay, And he's socially liberal. Next, we have dear James Clapper. And James Clapper is the former director of national intelligence under Obama. He was appointed by Obama in 2010. And now he's with the Center for a New American Security, which specializes in United States national security issues. Its mission is develop strong, pragmatic, and principled national security and defense policies that promote and protect American interests and values. Um, And many members of this think tank were hired by the Obama administration. One of the things he's notorious for is the fact that he lied about NSA spying And it was actually one of the reasons that Snowden decided to release all these documents because he saw the head of national security lie to Congress. And he went, "Okay, I guess I'll release this. And then James Clapper had to pedal backwards. But I'll read what he said during this hearing. So Ron Wyden, notably from Oregon, asked him, does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? And Clapper responded, no, sir. Wyden asked, it does not. And Clapper said, not wittingly. There are cases where they could inadvertently perhaps collect, but not wittingly. And then, of course, pretty soon after that, Edward Snowden released all this document showing that, indeed, that was not the case. What happened? Did he not get fired? No. Oh, didn't get fired. Some Congress people signed a letter requesting that he was fired and the Obama administration didn't respond. So there's one more thing I want to read about Clapper. He has the clap. (laughs) He has the clap, it turns out, which is his views on Russia, partially. This is during an interview on NBC in May of 2016, I think. This is that kind of thing with the NSA is like, we say collecting, but what, by collecting, that it's means a side effect different yeah. from what you think yeah. it means. But collecting, in my think- mind, means when you like pick berries and put them in yeah. a bucket. They're We're like, not doing we that. We don't look at each berry. We don't look the at each berry. The berries just go in the bucket yeah. and we don't touch We're the berries. Not, We're not actively collecting That's actually them. literally it's passive collection. That's literally yeah. their argument. Yeah. They're like, well, we don't. 
look at them until we need to. Until we want to eat all of them. Yeah. Until we want to make berry pie. Until we want to take out one bad berry and punish it. <laughs> we saw where you were. Now everybody understands exactly how the NSA works. That's how mass surveillance works. You're welcome. So this is a quote. Yeah. May 2017. And they're talking about the russian hacking so election etc yeah. this this year yeah back in the spring if you put that in context with everything else we knew the russians were doing to interfere with the election he said and just the historical practices of the russians who typically are almost genetically driven to co-opt penetrate gain favor whatever which is a typical russian technique so we are concerned russians are genetically predisposed to hacking Oh my god, he said the words. They're born and their mom gives them a little baby computer and they just know how <laughs> they just know immediately. Oh my god. It's I'm... something about the brisk northern air, all it's the their Slavic sour brain. cream, the Slavic brain. Yeah. They those squat things, all the time and they just know squatting. how to hack. Yeah. Yeah. You you can hack in a in a squatting position because you just balance the computer directly actually, on yeah, your like, knees. Actually, sloth squatting is the optimal position for hacking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's some kind of yeah. That should be our logo. <laughs> sloth squatting with a hood. Yeah, genetically predisposition. Almost. He qualified it with an almost because he's like, I'm. He's, we don't speak this way anymore. But, I, but it basically is. This true. man runs maybe the most powerful ran maybe the most powerful organization in the entire world all right let's move on shall we so now we have norman orenstein he's a political scientist at the american enterprise institute which is a conservative think tank he considers himself a centrist just humping that fence all Mm, day mm, every day mm, mm, Um, center center the mission of the american enterprise institute which is the think tank that our dear norman works for is to defend the principles and improve the institutions of american freedom and democratic capitalism limited government private enterprise individual liberty and responsibility vigilant and effective defense and foreign policies political accountability and open debate it's a nonprofit, as i think that many think tanks are and last year's revenue was 84 million dollars like Aww. like your average nonprofit, you yeah. know then we have Charles Sykes. And Charles Sykes is a conservative commentator, also a never-Trumper. He's a radio host and author, journalist kind of, from Milwaukee. And I have a clip of him to play. Well, my next guest got national attention when he took on Donald Trump in a fiery radio interview just ahead of the Wisconsin primary. Joining me now, Charlie Sykes. Charlie, good to see you. And, and sure enough, Trump went on to win, to, to lose the state of Wisconsin, but win the GOP primary. And nonetheless, you say you remain never Trump. Before I ask you about Paul Ryan, why? Because you know the argument against that is that's a vote for Hillary Clinton. Yeah, well, you know, Donald Trump is a serial liar, a con man who mocks the disabled and women. He's a narcissist and a bully, a man with no fixed principles, uh, who has the vocabulary of an emotionally insecure nine-year-old. So, no, I don't want to give him uh, control of the IRS, the FBI, and the nuclear codes. That's just me. Tell us how you really feel. (laughs) Doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of wiggle room there, Charlie. 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 And then the last member is Rob Reiner, who we've already covered, director extraordinaire. It's confusing. Rob Reiner confuses me because I would think that Rob Reiner would be like much more on the Snowden train and be like anti-clapper. Like this kind of thing is like really confusing. No, no, I don't think that Rob Reiner is anti-clapper. If if, if, obviously not. If you're on the Snowden train and you're anti-clapper, then you aren't hosting fundraising events at your house for Hillary Clinton. 
Okay, but I didn't know he did that. Okay, but today. but he's just like 1990s Democrat who just thinks like... 1990s? Yeah, just like he got on the train with Bill Clinton and he's just been choo-chooing ever since. What? Why Clinton? Because people really loved Clinton. Who was the Democrat before Clinton? Carter. But nobody liked Carter that much and he only served one term. I feel like people really loved Clinton in the, in the same way that they really loved Obama. I think there was that like emotional attachment to him. It's it's not confusing why he's not Snowden, but it's confusing how he like is all like American people, blah, blah, blah. And then he puts a guy who lied to the American people in Congress in his stupid committee. It's weird. No, you don't see a little hypocrisy. I'm, I, of course, I see the hypocrisy, but I'm just trying to think about like what level of confusion is this person at? Or, like what world model are they basing their like decisions off? And obviously it's not the one where you think that lying to the American people about security is bad or that you even log that. at one point in one of the interviews he gives he says in the fox interview he says we've been invaded <laughs> that's all it's important but like we've been invaded that that mantra that like concept of we've been invaded like we are a holistic like what we talk about with borders like america is just a, a whole thing it's like a it, it when 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 something penetrates america it is a penis not a vagina right 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 and like <laughs> When another penis tries to penetrate it, and also Russians are genetically better at penetrating. Yeah, they okay. love the penetration. <laughs> They're very good at the penetration. They're just bored to it. When something penetrates us, like nine eleven, that's like a huge. It's it's more than the physical damage. It's a psychological trauma. Yeah, because we we don't have war on our grounds, right? Except for the Civil War, awkwardly. So but we just pretend that didn't happen. Pearl Harbor. That's like a good example of the last time that there Pearl was an Harbor. attack on our land. Yeah, exactly. So we've been invaded. I mean, I my grandfather fought in World War II in the Navy. We have like his journals in which he joined with this sense of patriotism after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Such That's a, such like a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed approach to life that feels very like 1950. Exactly. It feels very dated and it feels like Rob Bryan is just like digging up that nostalgia and being like, this is the real America. This is like this outrage at being like invaded in some way. Well, it's kind of like, remember Sean mentioned when we were talking to him last time that Molly McHugh article where she's like, we need to use Russia as the enemy in order to like revitalize the morality of of the american people and that's like kind of the same argument that rob reiner is making like this this idea of being attacked and then like counteracting is the way in which we rally together like there are somehow not other forms of rallying together but we have to rally against a common enemy i mean but in a, the broader picture of that is that is a tactic used by 
all governments yeah all states basically yeah. it's like yeah, yeah. we're a state and the only thing that makes us a state is that there's an we're other outside other of states, us yeah. yeah and the, the other outside of us has the potential to invade us and like question the integrity of our borders right like the only way that you test that you're still a state is by somebody attacking you a little bit and then being like no i'm still a state right and like to be so we have borders are physical right but to be like emotionally a state we, we also need some kind of emotional enemy which could which was terrorism which is which is is continues to be terrorism yeah. something that isn't democratic like some concept of like non-democracy so yeah. like communism was like our favorite yeah, polar opposite well fascism well, no, we yeah. didn't like fascism fascism either. and now it's like this yeah authoritarianism or dictatorship kind of yeah yeah the one thing to note though i think i think this like point that rob reiner keeps making where he's like but the american people don't feel it and i want them to like have this yeah. feeling is that like people can't feel like digital based trauma yeah so okay so if we're following the metaphor we've been invaded right there's there's pearl harbor there's 9-11 there's russian hackers it doesn't have the same potency it doesn't have the same potency what what when people press him when like journalists press him to be specific about what he means by invaded he's like i don't think people understand the gravity or the capacity of cyber warfare beyond this concept of confusing people or undermining democracy that's like one concept and then at some point re-china he mentions what he means by capacity and he means like people think cyber warfare is this like sort of squishy like floaty thing that they don't you know it's like whatever it's just like just ideas quote unquote but it also has the capacity to be something physical like you can hack into an electrical plant or you can hack into a nuclear nuclear plant and control physical things yeah okay yes thank you rob i mean okay but that that i actually do think is a fair point like people don't understand the extent and i think that he is right that people have a hard time feeling what the implication of that would be which could be extremely bad especially as like all our systems transfer to digital and they have the like insecurity around them like that is that is really dangerous and that is something that would be worthwhile educating the public about and writing policies that prevent that sort of thing and writing good software that prevents that sort of thing but instead he made a website called the committee to investigate russia he didn't say like oh i want to make a hub to explain in like simple but accurate terms what cyber warfare is and what sort of like political movements or actions need to be taken in order to convince our congress people that we care about it and how can we do this in a way that doesn't infringe more on the individual like freedoms of the people that are already living in america but instead he just chooses to do this emotional thing with morgan freeman where he says like putin has a vendetta against the u.s because that's emotional but he can't he can't possibly conceive of a way in which to portray like cyber warfare or digital actions as emotional he's like "Mm, i can't do it also his argument would be so much more powerful if like you just said he focused on the cyber warfare aspect we could use other countries we could talk about it generally china wouldn't have to be like a counterpoint china could be another example of a country engaging in cyber warfare the u.s engages in cyber warfare we could just talk about like okay it's the 21st century governments are engaging in cyber warfare against each other so what does that mean for private citizens and like what do we need to know about that and what is scary about that and what should we do about it all those questions those do not have to do with russia specifically they don't but i think that a he probably has a hard time understanding what cyber warfare is and that's his whole it seems scary to like 
figure out what it is enough in order to educate people. I think also it's much easier to create a wiki for Russia. You just like search Russia every day. And you're like, here's a good article that aligns with my thoughts. Boop. You don't have to do any actual synthesis. I mean, they're just like this. this like, sh- let's talk about what this website looks like. So oh, people should go to it. But or not. It looks like a Squarespace website, but it's not. But somebody spent weirdly. a lot more time. Somebody spent a lot of time on it. It says committee to investigate Russia. It has like a star that looks like the McCain two thousand eight like presidential poster. It has patriotic colors. It's all in blue and white and red. And then it's basically just like a bunch of videos and links to other websites that have articles. So it'll be like a little bit of copy, and then it'll be like read more about it here. And it's pretty hard to navigate because it's not organized by anything. It's just like latest news. And then at the top, it has a navigation bar that has like things like key players. And and when you click on that, it drops down a menu that says things like Russians and Ukrainians. And then you can click on that tab and it's just a big picture of people of both Russian and Ukrainian descent who have done sketchy things related to Trump. There's timelines, Trump and Russia through the years, Trump and Russia during the campaign, Trump Jr. Russia meeting. Go back and listen to our episode about that. There's a tab about history. So the U.S.-Russian relations that are, for the most part, like just it's just like what you would find on, on a Wikipedia page. It's sort of like the tone that's used is very, like, quote-unquote objective and, like, yeah. unlike the rest of the site. Yeah. Whatever. It sounds like it's supposed to be objective. Yeah. But it's, it glosses over it some glosses. key points but, in this saga. Yeah, yeah. But whatever. Um, but whatever. But whatever. So, but the end of it, I think, is when they start talking about Putin. And they say he implemented a return to authoritarian rule, adjusted the corruption to benefit himself and his associates, engaged in rampant human rights abuses, and embarked on an unrelenting quest to reestablish a sphere of influence in Eastern Europe and Central Asia and to return his nation to global power status. With the United States as the strongest state standing up for democracy in Europe, Eurasia, and around the world, a key component of Putin's strategy eventually becomes the weakening of the United States and its democratic allies. An authoritarian Russia is confirmed confronting democracy in America again. Throwback. And this time around, thanks to advances in technology, Russia won't need to worry about matching U.S. defense spending. So basically, this means like Russia's poor and they don't have enough money for a physical warfare. Nuclear building. Nuclear, nuclear arms tanks, race. arms, yeah, but they're soldiers. Compo- but they're using the Cold War as a model. They're saying this time we won't have, they won't have yeah. to build nukes. Yeah. They'll just, they'll just pay developers $10 an hour. Aha. Yeah, hackers are cheap compared to the cost of building and maintaining a nuclear arsenal in a conventional military. Cyber warfare comes cheap. Let me just talk a little bit about this part of the narrative. So as Smith just read, like their overarching narrative is that Putin specifically, like this singular human, that his overarching goal is to weaken the power of the U.S. or the West in general. Right. Part of the narrative that the Committee to Investigate Russia uses to explain why the Russian government would hack the U.S. elections, part of the narrative, is that Putin is exacting revenge, basically. In a couple of places on the site, they have like a little bio of Putin. The fact that he's an ex-KGB spy is like really important to their narrative. And also in the video, it's like, Putin is that spy, right? And like a KGB spy with his genetically dispositioned ability to be sneaky... I just wanted to read this paragraph from the site because I think it gives an example of like one, their rhetoric, B, their narrative with this important element of like Putin having a personal vendetta against America and C, did I just say one B and C? I think so. Yes, but it's all right. That's okay. 
that the way they present history this website's supposed to be informational that's why we're calling it a, a wiki but the way the like copy is written it fluctuates from being like kind of semi-objective to being super biased but it's all really really not rigorous it regurgitates these like commonly known misconceptions or like revisions of history everyone people who know a little bit about u.s russian relations know that for example the quote i'm going to read is out of context yet this site is going to use that quote out of context and not know it's like they're just completely blind to like sort of basic history okay so this is from their site you go to the site you click history then you click what putin wants that's its own section what putin wants and then the sub subtitle is revenge because each of their titles are each of their titles on the page are one word power revenge i'm just gonna read from that section president vladimir putin grew up in the soviet union where he trained and served as a kgb agent on her behalf he believed her demise was quote the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the century end quote and was unhappy with president boris yeltsin's more cooperative approach to president bill clinton and u.s foreign policy in the mid-1990s one of putin's first actions on his first day as president on january 1st 2000 2000 was to meet with russian troops and tell them their mission included restoring russia's honor and dignity that paragraph what does it do it creates this like mythical narrative that there's a clear connection for them between the fact that Putin uh, served in the KGB and the fact that he said, quote, the demise of the Soviet Union was, quote, the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the century. That quote has, is very commonly taken out of context. That's what I was referring to. Because when people take it out of context, they say that Putin's saying, the Soviet Union collapsing is the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the century must mean that Putin wants the Soviet Union to exist. He's pro-Soviet. He's like pro-communism, right? And there, these two sentences, one after the other, is saying basically like, oh, he served in the KGB, which is a Soviet institution. So he's like really a Soviet guy. And he really loves the Soviet Union and it's falling apart is a sad tragedy. And he wants to restore it. And he wants to restore it. That narrative is false. Just know that, okay? Just take it in. Wrong. This quote is taken from the context where he's like, yeah, he's like speaking about the collapse of the Soviet Union as a catastrophe because geopolitically it is and was a catastrophe. And a lot of people, what happened was like a bunch of countries were all part of one country and then people woke up and they were not in the country they were it was like a logistical clusterfuck beyond anything we've experienced in america and not just for politicians i mean it was traumatic on a local and individual scale so when putin says that he's right and that quote being taken out of context to be pro-communist is like one of the most annoying misguided like revision bullshit things that people say all the time they just like, it really pisses me off that, like, everyone knows that's a misquote and everyone's talked about that. And then these motherfuckers, right, put on their website and they just don't get it. They're just like, Ugh. Okay. And then within, within the same breath, right, within that misquote sentence, that Putin was unhappy with Yeltsin's cooperative approach to President Bill Clinton <laughs> and U.S. foreign policy in the mid-1990s. By cooperative approach, that's a euphemism for the U.S. government participating in re-electing Boris Yeltsin directly. Participating again, your favorite word, participating. And that, that's another euphemism, helping Boris Yeltsin get elected. So it's not a cooperation. <laughs> 
So the last thing we're going to talk about is the crossover of Hollywood and politics, the crossover of Hollywood and vigilantism, vigilantism, and the crossover of like Hollywood and propaganda, which all are like a nice little turbid mix. It's just like, well, we're Hollywood and we represent not really normal people, but we then sometimes take up arms and pretend to represent regular people. Yeah. Basically, when we first were like, okay, we're going to talk about the community of Russia, it's like the obvious parallel is like back to McCarthyism, like this whole new Cold War thing where you're like, it's McCarthyism. I mean, it's not as severe, obviously, but it does have parallels. And so we're like, okay, what is the equivalent in Hollywood? And obviously the equivalent there is like this whole process of blacklisting. So we're just going to really quickly run through like what happened with blacklisting in Hollywood and what exactly the parallels are. People in Hollywood called the Hollywood 10, a combination of like directors, writers, maybe some actors, were subpoenaed to appear in front of the Un-American Activities Committee. And they said, no, we're not going to appear. We To what, denounce people? Yeah, to basically testify on like what their activities had been because there were a lot of communists and former communists in Hollywood during that time because... Sympathizers. Sympathizers because during World War II, like communism was in vogue because we were like friends with the Soviets. The Communist Party did increase in particularly in Hollywood. And so they were just trying to root it out and they were saying like, oh, well, if communism is big in Hollywood, then they're going to spread their communism, communist propaganda through their movies. Right. So they subpoenaed these Hollywood 10 they said no we're not gonna we're not gonna testify against ourselves and then a bunch of head honchos in Hollywood got together and were like well we won't stand for these little guys standing up for themselves and they like made a statement that's called the Waldorf statement and I'm gonna read that now on the broader issue of alleged subversive and disloyal elements in Hollywood, our members are likewise prepared to take positive action. We will not knowingly employ a communist or a member of any party of group which advocates the overthrow of the government of the United States by force or by any illegal or unconstitutional methods. In pursuing this policy, we are not going to be swayed by hysteria or intimidation from any source. We are frank to recognize that such a policy involves danger and risks. There is the danger of hurting innocent people. There's the risk of creating an atmosphere of fear. Creative work is at its best cannot be carried out in an atmosphere of fear. We will guard against this danger, this risk, this fear. To this end, we will invite the Hollywood talent guilds to work with us to eliminate any subversives, to protect the innocent, and to safeguard free speech and a free screen wherever threatened. The absence of a national policy established by Congress with respect to the employment of communists in private industry makes our task difficult. Ours is a nation of laws. We request Congress to enact legislation to assist American industry to rid itself of subversive, disloyal elements. Nothing subversive or un-American has appeared on the screen, nor can any number of Hollywood investigations obscure the patriotic services of the 30,000 loyal American employees in Hollywood who have given our government invaluable aid to war and peace and when i first read that i thought they were saying like oh this like rooting out of communism could lead to an atmosphere of fear but then they go on to say to this end we will invite the hollywood talent guilds to work with us to eliminate any subversives to protect the innocent and to safeguard free speech and free screen wherever threatened it's confusing they're saying like we're gonna root out communism because communism is the one that's causing free speech to be diminished and free screen it's to be threatened of, it's weird yeah it's self-censorship for the sake of free speech they're being like we are gonna 
make sure that our movies are always really American and not communist because American and communist are opposite. Right. Well, but then they also have to say that creative work at its best cannot be carried out in an atmosphere of fear. And they're saying that the communists are the one creating the atmosphere of fear and not the very act of rooting out communism. It started with the Hollywood 10, but then it went on to like, I think I want to say like upwards of 300 actors, directors, like really famous people. And basically what it meant to be blacklisted was that you weren't able to work like it wasn't an official list it wasn't like somebody checked your name against the list but like you were just known to be associated with communism in some way and therefore you wouldn't be hired and what period of time is this so the hollywood 10 was 1947 and it lasted about a decade i just want to repoint out something we pointed out before which is exactly the same period in russia in the soviet union was the persecution of the jewish anti-fascist committee for sort of a similar concept of accusing jewish intellectuals of being like too nationalistic basically too jewish nationalistic yeah Yeah. i'm curious if this is the point at which the narrative around jews in hollywood began because one of the things i read was that this i don't know how important this guy is the narrative the narrative that there's a lot of jews in hollywood that's like a thing that it exists yeah but could Uh, this you're saying this could have been like a weird like jew communist combination I'm wondering if it came out of this era because, and I don't know again how important this person is, but the founder of the neo-fascist American First Party began giving speeches in Los Angeles assailing the alien-minded Russian Jews in Hollywood. But one thing I want to mention, though, was that Walt Disney founded an organization in order to root out communism within his own company basically really the the motivation for it was that there had been like a cartoonist strike earlier that year and so he just made this organization along with other like sketchy hollywood figures and would then name like leaders of these cartoonist strikes why were they 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 were communists well he would get them blacklisted by calling them communists because they had striked at disney and then it was it was retaliatory yeah and he was revenge yeah revenge theme of the episode (laughs) yeah so the big picture is that like hollywood has a sort of strange political role that they play over the course of and like you mentioned like the whole like white savior in africa thing yeah so i mentioned they like like to do yeah like i mentioned like uh, before we started recording like the contemporary version of that it's still it's still happening where like members of hollywood kind of like will take on these like philanthropic roles a lot of these things are good and have good intentions but it's just a particular role that american like members of hollywood play because like they're extremely famous so anything they do is representative i think they have this guilt they're like i'm extremely wealthy and like all i do with my life is like act in sort of shitty movies and so in order to like rectify that like i have power i have visibility like i should do something with that but then they like live in this little hollywood bubble and they like don't really understand what they need to do and so they're like well i'll i'll go give water to people that need it yeah i mean and i'm not saying like that all there aren't any like good philanthropic forces coming out of uber famous people there's some fucked up shit happening in the official russian reaction to this video on the one hand there's a twitter campaign under hashtag stop morgan lie (laughs) the best formed hashtag that's just like supposedly just people though like vice and other u.s media sources are saying that's trolls russian trolls um but well, because any Russian person with a Twitter account is a troll. Yeah, and any Russian person with a computer is a hacker. Yeah. Anyone with a Twitter account is a troll. Yeah. Basically, you can break down the tweets under hashtag stop Morgan lie into two categories. One category is 
focusing on American hypocrisy. They're like, and first of all, it's important that it's stop Morgan Lyon. They're all focused on Freeman. Like it's all pictures of him and it's focused on him because he's the one in the video. One category is disappointment in him. Like I loved you. You were one of my favorite actors and now I'm disappointed in you and this sucks. Um, another Valid. Or like you're a sellout, a Hollywood sellout. Valid. Valid. But also just like you can enjoy people's movies and not care about them. Can I get an amen for Woody Allen? Woody Allen, yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> um, so the other the other line of this like Twitter uh, response is this focus on American hypocrisy, and there are these sort of like there are these canned tweets that go through like list all of the like wars that the U.S. has created in different countries. It's it's just a, it's a not a can a te- it's a template. And it's like, is this the democracy you're talking about? Is okay. this the democracy you're talking okay. about? 241 years, one years of what? And then, um, and the other hypocrisy people focus on is slavery. Then you get a like, you get a separate little branch of that which is racist. So it's like, it starts by being like Morgan Freeman, you're black. Like the logic being like, you, your family was slaves. Like, is that the 241 years you're talking about? Or like, what a shining example, yeah. Morgan Freeman. Which people on American Twitter were saying. Also. Yeah, I mean that's also like obviously a thing people would say and then there's like a weird like side racism that's coming through that is just some bullshit so this is all twitter which is supposedly like private citizens or like civilians or whatever or trolls or we don't know who they are uh maybe a combination um and then there's like russian state tv is like Uh took up this like kind of intense defamation campaign against morgan freeman that's like really unfortunate. So they're not focusing on the committee at all. They're they're like really honed in on him. Well, they're using him as the representative because he's is the representative like and visually in and, the video, yeah. and yeah. But no, I mean they're basically the main attitude of the Russian state news channels is to say like this is so laughable it's like hardly even worth talking about. So it's very sort of like condescending, which is my instinct as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is just like like uh, seriously like another ridiculous like the americans are at it again yeah. like they found the culprit and actually medusa published the beginning of the medusa article about the committee is also a similar vibe of like pretend sincerity where they're like they uncovered the culprits like these it's funny yeah but then the russian state tv is doing this weird like campaign specifically about morgan freeman and like it's creepy because it's like using the fact that he's like talked about weed before and like is he just really fucked up and like he's some other show guy was like it's like he got drunk or something and just like or like some kind of combination of substance abuse age oh and this is my favorite part of the narrative this like messianic complex people like because the, he's the played TV god like, before he, yeah he's played god and he's played the president yeah right but yeah that's the main it's a lot of like outrage also on twitter so like putting the state tv aside on twitter about being like stop attacking us like why are you saying we're at war like you're attacking us like we don't want to be at war with you we're yeah. not at war with you yeah. like, we the people right trust me when i say nothing's in my way That's the episode. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cheese in Russia. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, we're probably on it. Also, subscribe to our newsletter. We've had three so far. They're image based with a little bit of text. They're image based. They're you can image just based. Look at the images. Yeah, you don't have to read the text if you want. Small text. They come out once a month, and you just go to she'sinrussia.com 
and type your email into the email field. Also, if you would enjoy to call in and leave a message asking us a question or leaving us a comment, the lines are open. You don't have to talk to anybody. You just leave a voice message and we'll, we might play it on the show. We might. We might. The number is 347-292-7126. And we'll see you next week with Rumich Tour 2017. Can we just talk about how someone thought that we were Putin trolls? Or oh no? my god, you want to talk about that right now? Who thought that? The guy who hosts the Eastern Border podcast. Oh my god. So for anybody wondering if we are indeed Putin trolls, it's true. We are Putin trolls. I get Putin a person. <laughs> Putin pays Lily personally and then she Venmos why, me my share. Why do you think I'm in Russia? Obviously Putin's yeah. paying me I mean, to what troll. What other reason is there to be in Russia, really? <laughs>